Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. Super grateful to have you here today. We have an incredible guest. We have the one and only Cody Jefferson joining us today. This guy has been through a lot. He's got an incredible story of overcoming adversity in many areas of his life. And my real takeaway from my conversation with him was just how he embodies this in his life, his purpose, purpose-driven life, his intention, everything he does with his is intentional. And it's really something that we can learn a lot from. He's very great at explaining his his journey of where he's where he was, where he's been, how he, where he's going, all of that stuff. We talked about his journey, spirituality, his life as, of a fa- as being a father and how that's a mirror for him. And we unpack, you know, a lot of the things that we see going on in the world with people being in the victim mentality and really what it means to shift out of your identity and some of the things that we can do. Talk about trauma. We unpack a lot here. It was a really, really valuable episode. And I highly recommend you following Cody. His Instagram is all in the show notes for you. And you guys, if you aren't subscribed to the podcast yet, please do so wherever you listen to this. If you are watching this on YouTube, subscribe to the channel and leave us a comment if you got value from this. As I as I mentioned before, you guys, how you can show support and support this show is just by sharing it sharing it on your screenshots, leaving us a review if you feel called to do so, so that other people can get access to this information. As we grow, the more people it can impact. So we want to change your perspective on adversity and really help you step into the driver's seat and empowerment of your life. Without further ado, Cody Jefferson coming right up. What's up, brother? Good to see you, Cody. Thanks for coming on the show, my man. Brother, it's an honor. Yeah, we've been we've been trying to set this up for a while, so I'm glad that we uh, we made it happen, man. Yeah, when I was uh, when we were connected, you know, I started to look into what you're doing, and you know, I was like, this guy's a good dude. You know, he's been, and I was, you know, obviously looking through your story, and um, could resonate with a lot of it. Yeah, and you know, as I was, you know, kind of looking at, kind of understanding, you know, where you've been, there's a there's a lot of similarities. So I'm really excited to kind of unpack you know, your, the ability to be able to sort of, you know, switch and, you know, really make these changes in your lives. Like, you know, being able to go when you're, I was somebody that partied a lot mm-hmm. and, and drank a lot yeah, and, you know, had this kind of identity. And I'm really interested in kind of figuring out like, what were the things that you were able to do to kind of like, you know, create that new identity, that new flow in your life, because a lot of people, they just, they can't do it. And like what I yeah. really, these days I've been really figuring out, like, as I write this book and stuff like that, I'm like, what is it that allows some people to overcome this shit? And what mm-hmm. is it that does it? So I would love to unpack all that. So if we can, man, walk yeah. us through a bit of your journey and your words for those of you that those who haven't got to know you yet, or are just learning about you. Like, what does that sound like for you? If you had to like walk yourself through the journey of, of Cody before, you know, you started to make these different changes in your life. 
Yeah. Well, let's, I mean, we don't have to go all the way back to childhood because I feel like, I mean, that's just a really long journey, but let's start, you know, when I was 19, I got into occupational ministry full-time. So pastoral ministry at 19, which is literally, I had no business doing any of it, yeah. but I was passionate. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I had a heart for people and, you know, at that time I was, I was a part of a mega church in the early two thousands. And so I had a particular look about me and I could sing and play guitar and I was fairly eloquent with the microphone. So mm. it all worked. Yeah. Um, the problem is for me that one, I never really rooted a deep sense of spiritual understanding. I did in the, in the ways in which I moved forward, but it was always simply to either prove or to back up what I was kind of paid to teach. Mm. And so I never really made my faith my own, which then led to a lot of performance addiction, which uh, I think a lot of people can relate to. Uh, and my personality type in and of itself, like I am a recovering yes man, a recovering people pleaser, affirmation addict, like give me more pats on the back and attaboys. I am a three wing two through and through. So you put me in that position as someone who through his teenage years didn't really have a place to fit in kind of grew up on the wrong side of for us what was the river um fairly low income and was really just trying to find myself and so i found myself in serving other people the problem is for me i didn't know how to delineate god from job and job from god and um it turned into, again, a really, really unhealthy addiction to performance and trying to be all things to all people and taking on more and more and more and more roles uh, because I felt like that was my obligation and my duty, right? Because again, where's, where's the balance? And so you fast forward to uh, getting married. I was married for a few years. We had a son together. His name is Stetson Foster. You'll see him all over everything that I do. He is, he's the greatest inspiration of my life. And in the midst of, you know, his first year, um, his mom and I went through a divorce. Um, and really it was because I, I had married the wrong woman. And by that, I mean, I married the church. I was working 18 hour days. I was in university working towards a double masters in theology. I was doing all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. And everybody else is just supposed to understand because I mean, this is my call in life. Over the course of the next year, so I'm, I'm walking through a divorce. My son is turning one. In the midst of that, I, I lose eight family members and friends. Two very, very tragic, unrelated instances. Like I couldn't, I couldn't pray my way out of it. And so <clears throat> I couldn't pray enough of the right prayers. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't tithe enough. I couldn't give enough. I couldn't serve enough. I couldn't volunteer enough. There were not enough things that I could do to make all of the chaos stop happening. So it led to this real existential crisis of, wait a minute, I'm doing all the right things. W what even, what is all this? What is my faith? What do I believe? I continue showing up for everyone. I'm leading all of these funerals because I'm a pastor. And eventually I go septic. My body just shuts down. 106 fever, unconscious for a few days, drop weight, organs start shutting down because my body physically could not handle the stress of everything that I was walking through. In the midst of all of that, I had three pastor friends commit suicide. Hmm. Um, and so I started to recognize like, what am I, what am I doing? Mm. I'm sacrificing everything I love on the altar of this self-perceived success. Mm. 
like my ministry had become the altar to my family and my health and my well-being and whatever spirituality I had left. I didn't really know what I believed at that point. And I recognized, okay, and my friends are also putting guns in their mouths, which is a little crass, but I mean, let's call it what it is. So there's something to this. Mm. And so I felt like for me, the call on my life was outside of the four walls. So the pulpit was preparation for the platform that was planned for me. And so I stepped out of occupational ministry and into what I do now, right? Which is, again, the whole tagline is helping good men become great and helping great men create movements. And it starts every day with asking myself, what needs to die in me to become the man that I said that I would be? It's a question I've been asking myself for the past five years. And it's a question that I will continue to ask myself. And so you asked earlier, how does one actually do all of this? It's funny because I want to jump into that and, and I'll let you kind of set that up because, dude, I was literally just thinking about that last night. Like, what is this odd, radical thing that we can just get up and do this regardless of how we feel, but there's not enough loss. There's not enough frustration. There's not enough money to convince other people of what's possible for them so that they will take action and actually do it. Like there's a handholding that has to happen, which creates an unhealthy codependency, which is not useful for anyone. So I would love for you to, to, to dive into a little bit of that, or we can continue with the story, whatever you want to do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a it's, it's interesting because, you know, this being around adversity and what that even means and, and really, the perspective that each person has on this stuff and it changes like my my the way i look at life and you know the things that come like the obstacles and the adversities whatever you want to call them you know they've changed over the years they're not i don't look at them the same way and what's so interesting is people like yourself high performers successful people i've been able to connect with a lot of them and it's their perspective on it and it's it's, it's their ability to be able to see these things as essential to, or almost like a game to their evolution of, of growth. And I think it's, it's really people just stepping into that, like that empowerment instead of being a victim, yeah. because we're living in a world full of victims, man. It's like everybody is, everybody wastes their valuable energy. Not everybody. I shouldn't say everybody, but what I witnessed, and you, you could probably, you know, agree with me on this. It's like, everybody's looking for somebody to fix them or rescue them. It's like, nobody's responsible for your health. Nobody's responsible for all the shit. Like you have to, you have to take that into your own hands. Like you have to be responsible and accountable. Right. And I think for change to happen, you have to really be, take ownership and really yeah. look at what that looks like from awareness to accountability to acceptance to like there's there's a process there man and yeah. i don't think people are willing to look at themselves and and no. look at their their and i know you're a lot about that, habits that's what happened yeah that's what happened so i'm in the hospital room right i wake up i look like hell because i had i literally just came from there and i take my little stupid iv tree and I go into the bathroom like trying to like hold my robe together so I'm not flashing anybody and I look in the mirror and I, I think to myself like one is this who you want your son to be mm -hmm. two 
no one is going to come and save you. Yeah. No one. Look around you. Of all the people that you serve, none of them are here. And that's not an indictment. It's not that they wouldn't have been or anything else, but people yeah. inherently are, are focused on their own ambition and they're keeping their own day-to-day -day going. Yeah. And so I recognize like nobody, I'm either going to sink with this ship or I'm going to find some shore. So you better start paddling either way. And that was, that was the catalyst, like recognizing I can stay victim to the story Right. And there were a ton of stories that I was a victim to how I was raised. Some of the experiences of my childhood allowed me to act in a certain way because I had gone through certain traumas. And so that gave me like a hall pass to some of the ways in which I showed up in the world. And it was other people's fault. And there were all of these scenarios that made a lot of sense right? People like me, we don't make money. People like me, we don't do this. People like me, we don't do that. All of these narratives. And some of them I created on my own so that I could justify my own experiences. Some of them I didn't even know existed because they were buried so deep in my subconscious based on what I had seen over a period of years and years and years and years that it was just an indoctrination that I didn't even know was part of the mantra of my existence. So there was a deconstruction that had to happen. And most people don't want the deconstruction because you literally have to go into the hell of your own experience and you have to extrapolate any wisdom, any discernment, any usefulness. And then you have to let go of anything that doesn't serve you, right? That's why it's so hard to confront our beliefs, but our beliefs are nothing more than thoughts that we hold captive. Right. It's a thought. It's a feeling. You hold it long enough. It becomes your belief system. The problem with most people, the problem with me for a number of years is holding it so tightly that that fist becomes a weapon to defend your own existence and why you're owed something, which is simply not useful. Not only that, it's not true. Right. Because you can be completely honest with yourself and still not be telling the truth. And so I sought to seek truth. What is true? I stripped away everything that I thought I believed spiritually. I'd studied it for 12 years academically, recognizing that I was only serving to confirm a suspicion of what I thought was true based off of what I was paid to believe, based off the experience of my family growing up. But I didn't know what the hell I believed. And most people don't want to do that because it rubs up against your cognitive bias. It rubs up against everything that keeps you perceptively safe. Remember, the, the brain doesn't care. Brain doesn't care what you want to believe. It doesn't care what you say you want success to look like. It doesn't, you can speak all your affirmations and incantations and you can have your vision. Your brain doesn't care. Your brain only cares about the path of least resistance. In physics, we call it the principle of least path. Point A to point B, all energy follows it. Light follows it. Water follows it. Your brain follows it. So it's just seeking to confirm a suspicion. So for you to go against that is it's hell. It's unplugging everything you believe is true and rewiring it. What is uh, what is this man's book? Breaking the habit of being yourself. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to break the habit of everything you've ever known to be true. And most people don't want to confront that because it's, it's just easier to put the mask on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, metaphorically <laughs> speaking, of course. <laughs> so sick of those things, man. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, it's, um, it's so interesting because so many people and we, and again, this is just like what's going on. 
people don't want to change the way they've thought before. And you saw this in the health and wellness yeah. space. You see this in what's going on in the world with people's opinions. Yeah. You get new, you get new information and you know, you learn, you grow, whatever it is. And most people are willing to change, but a lot of people aren't because they're so attached to the story that they've lived this, this, this up until this point that if they have to go and realize that they were wrong or they're you know, living a lie, yeah. it hurts because yeah. a lot of it is, sure. a lot of it is living a lie. You're not in truth. If you're not in truth, you're living someone else's story. Yeah. So, and, and that's a real issue. So that accountability, man, yeah. is, 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 is it like you have to be able to go into that and realize, Oh shit, like things have changed and, that's really nowadays as well. The people that I trust in this world, mm-hmm. the, I'm like, they're willing to, they're willing to change. They're not dogmatic. It's like, you're willing to be wrong. Yeah. That's, that's right? that builds like, trust. That's the thing. Like for yeah. me, I'm more than willing to be wrong. So, yeah. so long as it moves something forward and there's something to gain on the backside of the experience, mm-hmm. right? Like, that I, I believe that's why environment and relationships are so incredibly integral to anyone's forward momentum and growth. Because I mean, if you think of truth as a, a river, right? M- most people will camp out in the same spot that their parents camped out in, that their grandparents camped out in, and they build a hedge of protection around it. And so long as you believe the same thing and you like the way the water tastes at that exact spot in the river, you're safe. But the second you dare to go outside of those walls, because you recognize the river might taste different downstream or upstream, that you want to see how it flows. You want to see where cold pockets are, where warm pockets are. You want to see how other people drink their water. You want to experience where the water is sludge and where the water is clear. You want to experience all that it has to offer, recognizing that one day you might actually reach the body of what the ocean that appears to be limitless and, and vast and experience. Mm. Some people will never, they will never step into that because they prefer the safety of those closed walls. It's not right or wrong. It's just what's most useful to someone's subconscious and their experience. Again, the problem is what happens when someone approaches that wall, that belief system that we hold so tightly becomes a defense mechanism and everybody fights. Richard Rohr contends that true contentment is when there is nothing to hide, prove, or protect. Mm. And so for me, I've just, I've resolved that there is a universal truth and there is absolutely a moral conversation of right and wrong and an ethical conversation of right or wrong. Absolutely. But there are also presuppositional conversations that are always up to interpretation based on the contextualization uh, of where you come from, what your background is, how you were raised, the environment, the experiences, the relationships, all of that has to be taken into account. And so for me, who I align myself with and what you've overcome and how you've chosen to overcome it, how you choose to live and move and have your being and the environments that you place yourself in, because again, right, a a seed can't grow in dead soil, Mm. right? So we have to find fertile soil that we can grow in. So those two things are paramount for me. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because there's like a degree of empathy that we have to have for why people think the way they do. Right. Like that's what I'm absolutely to understand too. It's like, you know, there's, there's a human and a story behind each person's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and sometimes this is and what there's I, pain. Yeah. There's pain. Yeah, there's exactly. Right. There's a wounding that happens. And yeah. the problem with pain is if you don't transform it, you transmit it. Mm. Right. 
Yeah, and, and a lot of people aren't willing to to do that. And this is something that I've also learned. Also, it's like, man, we gotta we gotta see people where they're at, and yeah. you know, and just be able to understand and not. There's just there's too much telling people what to do and how to do it. And I, you know, I used to be like that, you know, I'd learn something. I'm like, Oh, you got to do this even to family. Like, Oh, I've learned this about health. You got to do this. Yeah. And it doesn't inspire change. All telling somebody what, how to think it does. Right. Like it doesn't, you know, for me, what I get inspired is like seeing somebody do something, embody it, not mm-hmm. talk about it, but they're, right. what they're saying aligns with their actions. Yeah. Show me. Don't tell me, show me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, I was talking to someone last night and they said, are you concerned with your son? You know, cause he's six. He's like, he doesn't listen to you all the time. Like I I don't need him to listen to me all the time because I understand that he's at an age where he's going to experience some defiance because he's, he's just now starting to think abstractly and he's going to try and assert some independence. What I am more concerned with and what I'm more aware of is that he is always watching me. Oh Yeah. They're like little sponges, man. Yeah. Yeah. Little geniuses. But people are as well. People (laughs) are always watching. But people are typically watching to confirm a suspicion that they already have in their mind. Right. I think growth happens when we can look objectively without an emotional objective attached to it. Mm. And we can just see. want to in a box and say people like us, but I will say people like us, one of the hard parts is seeing people in pain and knowing that there is a solution. And, and most of that is between your two ears, but you can't lead anyone to their own awareness that has to happen on your own. And accountability that isn't asked for often feels like a threat. Mm-hmm. So even in trying to help, right? We become the one who is the threat because we're assuming things from their perspective. What, how has, I want to talk about spirituality for you, please. Uh, How has that, how has that changed for you? And what does that word mean? Because, you know, I've interviewed a lot of people, had these conversations around, you know, people from that are highly religious people that are, you know, done psychedelics, people of all walks. And sure. it's, it's so interesting to me because that's such an interesting word to hear people's perspective. What is, what does spirituality mean to you and how has it changed from before to now? Yeah. So for the, for middle part of my life, for, for all of my early years and up and through my twenties, obviously there, there was a contextualization of my spiritual practice of Christianity that was inherited. Right. It was, it was an indoctrination for better or for worse. And we, you know, people don't like that word, but it is what it is. Right. And so we can yeah. just, we can just own it's that. true. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like we're indoctrinating our kids every single day Yeah. to think, live, move, like to do everything like us. And so when I stepped out of occupational ministry, I set out on a journey to deconstruct everything that I thought I believed to look at other spiritual practices and religions with, um, with fresh eyes, right? Not, uh, not as an apologist who's seeking to prove a religion, right. But to seek where we might all be heading and what growth might look like. And, and, 
and again, to look at it without a bias of needing to, as Rohr would say, prove, hide, or protect, mm-hmm. right? Because the soul's true contentment is when it recognizes it's been enough, it is enough, and it will always be enough. And so in going to every spectrum that you can and confusing everyone that's ever followed me on the internet by just going completely rogue with so many ideas because I was just searching. Um, There's a book by Richard Rohr called Falling Upward where he contends that every hero has a journey that they must go on and there's a way in which they go prodigal. And they go prodigal because they need to find their own way. They need to accomplish something, a feat of some sort. And then a fall happens. And in that fall, there's a discovery because the ego is laid bare and laid to waste because we recognize the ego uh, doesn't serve in that context. And so for some, you continue wandering. And for others, you find your way back home, yet you see that home with fresh eyes for the first time. And that's what it was for me. And so I found myself going back to a faith and seeing it with fresh eyes for the first time, not as a book that serves as a historical document because it was never meant to, but as a narrative and a story and a story of one man's quest to think differently and to think for himself and to challenge the status quo and to equip people and to love people where they are, but love them enough to not leave them there. And to love people enough to see them for who they are and to call that out in them based on the perception of who they could become. And a man who was passionate enough about that, about recognizing that he is this thing, this like flesh and bone, like this thing that we are, but I'm also only here because I'm consciously aware that I'm here. So there's something more. There is innately, there's something more than just this, right? And and there has to be an intelligent design to this, right? That we would call God and believe that enough that he would die for it. And I don't know many men that would die for what they believe in. I, I, I actually believe in this culture. It's the polar opposite. We have men that don't even know what it is to be a man anymore. And we could argue and extrapolate and we could theorize on what it is to be a man, or we could just go be one. And so for me, that's where I found myself is going back home spiritually with fresh eyes for the first time with nothing to prove, nothing to hide, nothing to protect, no great desire to convert anyone, no great desire to invite all my friends to church on Sunday, although I do attend church when I'm in town, just a desire to grow closer to a purpose and a plan that's greater than my own. And do I believe all the things in the Bible? I don't know if that's the point. I don't think that it matters. Do I believe in the historicity of the the canonized text of scripture? I don't know that it matters. Am I a biblical literalist? No, never have been, right? Are there a lot of things that people would call me heretical in? Fundamentalists, I'm sure would. Do I care? Nothing to prove, nothing to hide nothing to protect. You want to be right? Be right. That's fine. I don't, it doesn't, so long as you're not hurting me or yourself or anyone else. Great. Mm. That's fine with me. I got nothing to prove to you. If, if by the way, like, I just don't, like, if you follow my stories, spirituality is a big part of, of, of my experience, 
but I'm never trying to convince anyone of anything, right? I would rather the fruit of my life be a reason why you would come to me and say, hey, okay, listen, dude, there's like something different. You've been to hell and back. You walk with people through their own personal hell, yet you seem to have a joy and a contentment without complacency about you. And I'm interested in what that's about. Great. Well, we can have a conversation about that, mm. right? But I'm not here to save anyone. I almost lost my life trying to save everyone else's. Mm. It's um, that's yeah, a beautiful answer, man. Because really, people get I think caught up in like what you're saying, like some of the book and the history and whatever else. Mm. But the underlying message is is love. Yeah, and. Right all spiritual teachers. Yeah. Love God, love yourself, love others. That's the message. Unconditional love. Like that's what we're striving. Will we yeah. ever get there? I mean, that's the journey, yeah. right? Like that's it. And uh, to be able to strive for that and just understand that that's the message. Like, yeah. Well, and so one of the things you say that one of the things that I recognized in my own life, one of the things that I help others in their journey is, you know, so much of my life was striving and that's what, that's what almost took me out was this constant striving rather than a recognition, which I think you'll really appreciate because of your work and because of those that you study under is that, that the true embodiment doesn't involve a striving at all. It is a true embodiment to say, this is just who I am. And I am not these things because I do this or because I strive for it right? But because I am this, this is a natural outpouring of my identity. So for me, it, that was a really big shift for me um, was to, was to simply say, this is who I am and this is what I embody. And out of that comes this manifestation of love and empathy and acceptance for others. But also because I love you, there has to be a radical accountability as well. Now the relationship has to supersede that, right? I don't hold people accountable that I don't know, because again, accountability doesn't ask for often feels like a threat. I'm not here to threaten anyone. I don't, I don't have any desire to, I'm not that leader on the internet. We have enough of those. So. How has, so I'm just, you know, thinking about the, the amount of loss that you've been through, yeah, you know, sure. and, and I can resonate cause you know, I, I think I lost seven people in six years or six people in seven years mm -hmm. and it's, it's wild to think about. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people that don't grieve very well and they don't know how, yeah. and, you know, it can really mess with their life for, for a long time because sure. they can't process that stuff. So, yeah. You know, for those that are, have been through loss mm -hmm. and, you know, are looking for a way to learn how to grieve better or understand better so that they can move forward. What was, what was your process and have you fully been able to process all that stuff? And yeah. what does that look like for you? So one, I think that we can all attest to experiencing loss, especially after the past year, every, everyone lost a sense of their identity. Yeah. Well, some people lost the, their entire careers. Others lost family members and friends. Some lost their belief system. Some lost their hope, their health, their joy, their contentment, their ability to dream, their desire to work, their desire to create. And so there are certain 
there are certain paradigms of loss that we do get over and that we do move on from. And then there are other deeper paradigms of loss that we simply live through. And those losses of, of, of people that are close to us, you never fully move on from any of that. And I don't think you're supposed to. You just move through it. And you recognize that they're always with you. But there's never, a, oh, I'm just over it now. Because the interesting thing about grief is it just comes and goes. Mm. Right? Yeah. And, and there, are these, there are these really interesting frames in life. It could be a smell or a song or an experience or a place that could trigger an emotional response of a memory that, that, that floods, floods you. And it's in, that's nothing to be ashamed of, right? That doesn't mean that you haven't grieved properly. That means that you love deeply. And that's always something to be celebrated. Mm. For me, I will say that what helped me the most is going to, I go to therapy every week. I still go to therapy every week. Mm. It's like a non-negotiable for me. And I have an incredible therapist who calls me out, who holds me accountable, who doesn't let me reverse it because here's the deal. I'm not, I'm not as smart as I think I am, but I'm smarter than most people think I am, especially when it comes to jumping into conversations of counseling and therapy. I can typically, by the end of a session, flip it and be coaching you as a way of self-protection. Mm. And my therapist doesn't let me do that, which is really helpful and useful because there's a vulnerability and I don't have to be on and I don't have to show up and I don't have to be the coach or the mentor, the pastor. I don't have to be the dad. I don't have to be the partner. I don't have to be anything. I just be me. And that must so be you nice ask, for you though. That must be nice. For it's you nice for everyone. It's nice go. for anyone and everyone, but especially those who are in the space that we occupy of leadership, because so often we get so accustomed to wearing masks that we don't know how to take it off. And we, we become so addicted to the mask that we don't even like the person that is barefaced staring us back in the mirror. And so for me, walking into therapy or counseling every single week is a way for me to one, learn more about my own experience without bias and to understand how trauma influences our experience. So it's as much learning for me and application as it is recovery and healing, especially at this point, because I mean, we're so deep into this that we're years into it at this point. But that doesn't mean that the work is ever finished. So you say, have I ever, have I fully processed and fully, I've fully processed have I fully healed? I don't know that you ever fully heal. I don't know that you ever fully heal from your 18 month old niece being murdered. I don't know that you ever fully heal from your 19 year old sister being tragically murdered. I don't know that you ever fully heal from your sister-in-law taking her own life. I don't know that you ever fully heal from, from your best friend taking his own life. I don't, and all of this happening so quickly, like I don't, I don't know that you ever fully recover from all of those or that you get over them, mm. but you move through them and you give yourself grace in the process, understanding there are healthy ways to grieve and there are, there are unhealthy ways to grieve and to cope. And so as best as you can, 
right? You, you, you seek out the accountability to help you cultivate the collective awareness of your own experience to keep you on a path towards healthy coping and healthy grieving and healthy recovery versus the latter. Hmm. Man, that's, uh, I'm sorry that you went through that, man. That's, uh, I, I appreciate that. I, I again, I, I think it, it, in a way, all had to happen, mm. right? Like I wouldn't be here if it hadn't. And so that there, there also becomes this way in which you know you say like we we have to seek out the hard things in life to be able to grow effectively. Like we also don't want to turn into like. <laughs> We don't want to turn into like the Taylor Swift who gets into relationships just to break up and write songs about it. So we got to be really careful yeah. about how we view pain, exactly because you know we 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 again don't want to we don't want to create scenarios because life will create create scenarios in and of itself. Mm, you're, yeah, and sometimes people can get caught in that story of of always looking for that. Well, because that, that's what feels safe. Yeah. For, the, for those who grew up in chaos or grew up managing the emotional expectations and health of adults and never fully learned how to process emotional health on their own, were never given the opportunity to properly express, express emotional vulnerability because they were always managing unhealthy emotional, I mean, chasms for their parents, grandparents, people around them right? Then, then that chaos will be manufactured indefinitely until you transform the pain because it's what's familiar and it's what's normal. Yeah. That's why we, this is why people continue to get in unhealthy relationships, why they continue to self-sabotage in their finances, why they self-sabotage in their health, um, in their parenting. It's because your brain doesn't care about what you want. Your brain cares about the repetition of patterns. So until you start to dive in to the patterns that you formed from the time you were a child, you will be destined to repeat them because subconsciously you don't know any different. Has there been any specific modalities that have been useful for you other than therapy for dealing with trauma that you've, that you've used or that you've. Yeah. It's forced me in, in like one of the most beautiful ways to be very, very intentional with every day. Mm. There is not one day that I take for granted. It's funny, I, I was talking to someone last night who uh, I was kind of recapping my evening. They're like, you're like the Energizer Bunny. I don't know whether that's good or scary because it's like you jam pack so much into a day. And for me, whether that be the intentionality of reaching out to people throughout the day that are on my mind, just to tell them I'm grateful for them and to tell them something that I'm grateful for. So it's not just generic. It's, it's, it's personal, it's an intentional and it's, and it's, it's, it's meaningful and it's sincere. Um, being intentional will force you into recognizing the fragility and the temporal nature of this life. And so the beauty of, of loss is that it does hold up a mirror to your own humanity and it holds up a mirror to the, the fact that life isn't forever. It can't be. And so it's shown me because I've lost young people. I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I've buried a lot of kids, uh, more kids than anyone should. 
So my intentionality with my son is, is unmatched because I recognize that at any point in time, something could happen. I've just seen it too much. I've experienced too much. I've led too many funerals. And so that forces you into a few different boxes, right? It can force you into self-protection mode and self-isolation. I'm never going to love. I'm never going to experience. I'm never going to let anybody close because I don't want to lose anyone else. I don't want to experience that feeling anymore. Or you go the opposite to say, I'm going to love radically. I'm going to love everyone. I am going to be a there you are person instead of a here I am person. I'm going to seek that everyone that I come in contact with is seen, known, and loved. I want to leave the world better today than when I woke up. And every morning when I wake up, I'm going to express gratitude because there's breath in my lungs and I get to face another day. Sure. Right? What a gift. What a gift. For all. You won the lottery. You, if you're listening to this, you won the lottery Yeah, because you're here. And so what were some of the healing processes for me? Leaning into my own mortality, right? Which is a very kind of stoic way to look at things like we're all going to die, right? But we all, I'm like, sorry, nobody gets out of this like any other way. And so you either recognize that and you play, it's, it's taught me to play all out. Like the, the, the level of excellence and success that I've experienced over the past few years, it's, it's unmatched. It's insane, dude. It's literally, I, I look at myself and I look at where I'm at and where my family's at. And I just, I, there's nothing I can say other than like, it has to be God because it's bigger than me, but it's also because I recognize that I've got today. And it sounds overly utopian and very motivational and bullshit on the back of a box of Cheerios. But it's in, until you've been to hell and back and until you've taken those keys and until you've sat and looked eyeball to eyeball to, to dozens and dozens of people who've lost loved ones, it may not make sense. I hope it does, but it may not. But for me, it does. You know, I'm not a parent, but a lot of people I know are a lot of close friends are. And mm -hmm. I just, I think about what that would be like in my life. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. think about how much that would change me. And part of it kind of scares me. But part sure. of it's like, am I ready? I can barely take care of myself. Yeah. Like, what? You know, what about what, how has, you know, being a parent really changed your life before and after for somebody like myself, like, yeah. who, you know, doesn't have one, but you see kids. And then when you have one, you know, how has that really helped you in your life as far as like your growth and just changing mm. the way you look at life? Yeah. You know, because it's so interesting to me, man, because everybody says the same thing, how your life changes so much. And before it happens, you're like, oh, could I handle this? What's that like for you? And how has that been for you? He holds a mirror up to me every day because he is me. We have the same personality type. So he has the best parts of me. And if I don't do the work of transforming my pain, he will have the worst parts of me. And so a lot of me answering the question of what needs to die in me to become the man I said I would be is further confirmed in the man that I want him to be. 
And because he has the same personality, I see him at times wanting to please people. And I see him wanting to make sure everybody's good. And there's a real gift to that. There's a real hospitality gift to that. But if that's not nurtured in the correct way, it can become an addiction to approval real fast. And if I don't do the work in myself consistently, if I'm not mindful of the experience of my own childhood and the things that I really enjoyed about it, but then also the things that I would do differently, then I'm destined to repeat the same patterns of my son. After, after this interview, we're literally jumping in the car and driving down to, to Six Flags. Amazing. Um, simultaneously, I got an invite to be speaking at an event in, in Cali right now that would have paid really well and introduced me to some, some really influential people. And I turned it down because I had bought the $100 tickets to Six Flags already. And I grew up with an, an extraordinary dad, uh, a dad who showed love through working and was always working, always. Uh, and I can remember hearing those words, oh, buddy, something came up. And that's okay. I get it. He's a single parent. I get it. But part of me creating the life that I have now is I made a promise to myself that my son would never hear those words from me. And so even when opportunities come in, if it conflicts with something I've already had planned, I have to say no, because I have to keep my word to myself and my son. Because I'm trying to show him, because it's not about what I say. If I say I'm going to do something, I back off of it. Eventually he's going to lose trust in the integrity of my words. But if I consistently show him, part of the reason I have a morning routine every morning and it goes until he wakes up is so that when he wakes up every morning, he sees me in my routine. Part of the reason that I'm in as great a shape as I am is because I don't want to tell him you need to take care of your body. I just want him to see that I take care of mine. Part of the reason that I am involved in so many different endeavors, equity in so many different companies as an investor is because growing up money was always scarce for us. It was just really never enough. And I, my son sees a very, very different story in regards to money because of the stories that I've changed in my own life. And so the responsibility and the privilege that it is to be that young man's dad, not just his father, but his dad is the greatest gift. It is the greatest teacher. It is the greatest opportunity. It is the greatest blessing that my life has ever known and will ever know. Yeah, that's absolutely beautiful. And just as you're saying that, I'm just thinking about like how just the importance of youth and having a role model like that. Yeah. And the ripple effect that that'll have everyone he meets. And yeah, you know, and especially now it's so important. And I guess another question around this is like, how do you deal with the way society is right now with like what you believe versus like being told like how to act with what to do, depending on where you are, like, how do you process the, the truth of what you believe to be true, yet you're fighting society's 
yeah way of, of way of being and and it's affecting our children it's affecting the youth sure. man like how sure. do you how do you process that and deal with that so that's why when someone said what happens when your son doesn't always listen to you i celebrate that mm. right and you know part of our part of our experiences we read every day right we're constantly learning i'm a learner and so my son as a result of that because i he sees me doing it he just does it most people now culture is taught what to think but we're not taught how to think mm. so i'm teaching my son how to think and how to question and how to come to conclusions based off of the facts not your feelings but based on the facts to take everything at face value right that when something feels off, to lean into that, to lean into your own discernment, right? To not take things at face value from people who have not earned your trust. Just because someone says something doesn't mean that you should take it as gospel and trust them because not everybody has a heart that is pure and a, an agenda that is not corrupted. So I'm teaching my son to stand on his own two feet, I'm raising a young man. Right? I'm not raising an adult child with arrested development who relies on others around him to take care of him and to answer questions for him. I'm raising a man. I'm raising a man who exercises autonomy, who leans deeply into his spirituality, who respects the people around him, who has a high, high, high value for women, and that starts with his mother. His mother and I are not married, obviously. She's one of my best friends. And I will always honor her because she is my son's mother. And he will always see that from me. Mm. So again, so much of it is, is what I say, sure. But he sees me questioning. He sees me studying. He sees me associating myself with people who are on a similar journey with similar, similar moral direction and compass, with a similar hunger for truth, right? Not just indoctrination, right? Men who know, and women who know how to think, not just settling for what to believe because it's been told to you. So he sees that modeled out every single day, right? Mm. That's why I don't get upset when he comes in here and I'm tracking a podcast or I'm on a call because I want him to hear it. I want him to see it. There is no, there is no line that he, that he is forbidden to cross in what I do. Hmm. It's all one. It has to be for me. When he sees your morning routine, what does that look like? What do you start with? What time do you get up? For those that are listening <laughs> yeah. to you and they're getting inspired and they're sure. like, I like this dude. Yeah. I like this dude, Cody. I, I want to know what he does in the morning to, to embody himself and to body yeah. the embrace the lion and to like be, be who you are instead of saying yeah. who you are. Like, what does that yeah. look like for you? So I start my day early. I don't listen. This is not a recommendation that you start your day as early as mine. I've done this since I, I just, I've woken up this early since I was a kid. So it's kind of just ingrained in me. So I get between three forty-five and four, right? Not useful for everyone. Just to caveat that get up by five. You're going to be just fine. 
for me, there's a series of, of action steps that I take every morning. So every morning when I wake up, I just express gratitude. Like I thank God for the day. I thank God that I'm alive. Um, I don't have to be. Like that's a, that's a very, like the second I wake up, there's an awareness of gratitude. Uh, I reach out to, to three people over the course of the morning to let them know that I'm grateful for them. Typically it's 10 to 15 people a day, maybe more. I don't, it's just when people pop in my head, I honor that. And I, I follow it immediately. I don't think I should text them. I just text them. I love that. You know, like there's just an intentionality there, but, uh, in the mornings. So I express gratitude, uh, from there. If I have him, I'll typically work out in the afternoons. If I don't have him, I work out in the mornings, but obviously he's sick. So I don't just leave him here. So I go to the gym. That would be irresponsible. Um, so typically I'll move my body. So I'll do some, some body weight stuff while he's sleeping. Uh, from there, I go into just looking over my day. Um, again, for me, because I am very productive, I am a morning person. I'm very productive in the morning. So I just look over my day and make sure there's nothing glaring, make sure that I don't need to put out any fires. Um, I am involved in a multitude of endeavors. So I do coaching consulting. I also do speaking. Uh, I'm on the board of six companies. I'm invested in 12 in equity. So there, there's a lot of moving pieces with what I do. Um, and I have a team that helps me with that. And so make sure that everything is copacetic on, on all arenas. I look over my day, I visualize the day. Um, I give thanks for the day, pray over every single one of my clients. Again, that's just a frame for me and my spiritual practice. I give gratitude and I, I pray over their families and then I sit down. And so I spend a fair amount of time, uh, in, in the word and in, book. So like right now I'm reading Beyond Order, which is Jordan Peterson book. And I pair that with daily scripture readings from the lectionary, which is just a way that the kind of universal church uh, applies scripture. And so from there I'll write and I'll typically write for about an hour. And that's when my son wakes up. And so I'm, I'm taking these bits of philosophy and psychology. I'm taking these bits of theology and I'm just kind of mashing them up into what I call my daily sermon. A lot of my content comes from that. So you won't really hear me, even though business is a large part of what I do, you don't really hear me on social media talking a lot about business because most of that you can find in the book or you can find on YouTube um, or you can find from people who are much smarter than me. Um, I lean more into the, to the questions and conversations that money doesn't answer, which is why I work with a lot of uh, founders and entrepreneurs and investors, um, influencers, people of, of stature who have answered the, the money question, but it didn't quite solve all the complexities of, of their soul's content, character, and purpose. But you have to answer the money question to get there, right? Um, and that's where my son comes in. And so my son sees me with books sprawled out with notebooks. I've got boxes and boxes of comp books, bro. I've been doing this for so long. And one day when he's an adult, uh, he'll get all those comp books and it'll be kind of his, his dad's really haphazard journey of finding his faith, uh, which is a daily process, man. Like I get, listen, I get atheist flu like at least once a month. Um, and so that's where he comes in and every morning, but you'd have to know my son. He is, he, he is outgoing and, and extremely extroverted. He, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And he'll he'll walk up and he'll sit beside me and dude, every morning like clockwork, put his hand on my shoulder and he'll do this. He'll like shake his head like, so what's God saying today? 
And so then we talk about it. We typically go to breakfast uh, or I make breakfast, but we have a few spots that are in walking distance. So we walk and talk every morning regardless. Uh, but if I don't make breakfast, then we'll walk to breakfast. So we have breakfast every morning and we talk and uh, you know, I teach my son what it is to have conversation, right? Because most of us have conversation through the lens of our phone and texting. And even when I was a youth pastor, kids would rather text you something than talk to you. So I teach my son how to have conversation, how to articulate with eloquence, how to use words properly, how to make eye contact, how to shake with a firm hand, right? How to say his name proudly and how to be a man of integrity and character. And that starts with him waking up, coming out, and seeing me with books open and with a heart that's open and ready to receive. Oh man, it's beautiful. It's, uh, it's so important. And to just what you're doing, man, is, is so important for, for him and for yourself. And it's just so purposeful, man. So thank you for sharing that brother. I really appreciate it. Yeah. If, so if anybody were looking to check you out and learn more about you, yeah, what do you got going on and where can they find you? Dude, I, I, you know, I get asked this a lot and, you know, I could point you like my website is my name, right? So that's simple, yeah. but really like I'm, I'm really the most active on Instagram. I think that's even where we connected. Yeah. Like if you, if you want to, start a conversation. I believe everybody's got a powerful story, man. I believe everybody's got a powerful story. And so many people are just longing for somebody to listen. For the past 20 years, I've just been listening to people's story. And when appropriate, right, I help them turn the page and write a powerful new chapter. But that starts with hearing your story. So listen, I'm, I, I'm covered in tattoos. I get it. I, yeah, I'm, it can seem intimidating. Um, but after hearing this conversation, I think that like most people are like, dude, you don't talk like you look, <laughs> I don't know how to take that, but I appreciate it. Just shoot me a message. I'd love to hear from you. Right. Uh, just shoot that you, you heard us in this conversation and let me know what resonated with you. Um, and then let's start a conversation. I respond to every single person who messages me. I always will. I'll never get like, if I ever get too big for that, I need you to come to Tulsa and you just kick my ass. Uh, cause that's just not a frame for me, man. Like, uh, you can take me out of the pulpit, but you can't take the pastor's heart out of me. Right. So my, my call in this life is to walk with people. And so many people are looking for somebody to walk with them. So if I can do that in some small way, by hearing what you have going on in your life, what resonated with this conversation and what you plan to take away from that and any frameworks or anything else that I can give you, I don't even sell you. Um, I do just fine. I'd love to be able to equip you in any way that I can. Love it, brother. Yeah. I always finish off with this last question. If I remember Please. to ask it, um, <laughs> it's, perfect. Know, it's funny. I go back through some of them and I, I forget to ask, but yeah. Um, out of all of the things that you've faced and overcome, what is the biggest lesson that adversity has taught you or that you've learned from adversity overcoming it? Mm. That it's all a gift if you'll allow it to be. Again, pain transformed is power, and otherwise it's transmitted. And so it gives you a, a beautiful frame to explore your own experience with humility, but also with purpose and with a hope for the future. 
right? Because we don't have to circle the same mountain for decades and decades and decades, right? And I'm, I'm speaking biblically of Israel. Like we, we, can, we can choose to find a promised land in, in a quicker way. And that's through taking the collective experiences of adversity and allowing them to mean something, which means that we have to peel back our ego, which is a really, really interesting experience for, for the human being. But one of the most beautiful, because it opens you up to a level of intimacy and openness and empathy and opportunity that you would have never experienced before, right? We don't know light without dark. We don't know dark without light. We don't know the beauty of life without the suffering and pain of loss and the experience of overcoming that loss, or at least, you know, my, my son and I read this book called going on a bear hunt, right? Like, so there's, these, these kids are going on a bear hunt and they, uh, they face all of these different obstacles. And so the whole premise is you can't go over it. You can't go around it. You can't go under it. You have to go through it. And the greatest gift of adversity is to be able to walk through it with humility and with purpose. A man without purpose, it's been said, is a ship without a rudder. And so many people walk through adversity, repeating the same patterns of their past, which leads them to be tossed among waves because they have no direction. But adversity becomes our greatest teacher. It allows, it allows wisdom to be formed and empathy to be curated and cured and seasoned that's one of the greatest gifts that we have it's beautiful i'm glad i remember to ask you that bro that was a powerful answer <laughs> thanks dude thank you so much for coming on man that was absolutely incredible. thanks for having me man i've been yeah. i've been looking forward to it i really yeah. appreciate what you do um i want to honor you i've listened to several of, of your episodes i've listened to a lot of what you've done uh, since we've been connected and, and even your journey over the past few months and your own exploration. Um, I'm really proud of the man that you're consistently becoming. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. And I wouldn't be where I'm at today without these kind of conversations. Yeah. It's completely changed my life. And I learned something from everybody. It's I'm so humble and such a student of life to learn and hear yeah. the perspectives and I'm just so grateful and honored to be able to have these conversations and with, with people like yourself, man. So thank you for how you show up and, you know, thank you for dropping so much value on the show today, brother. Oh, thanks for having me anytime. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please follow Cody. The guy's awesome. My biggest takeaway there was really that it's all about embodying your mission, your purpose, you know, really owning it, not just talking about it, but really showing up and owning that and the power of being a father. Wow. That inspired me a lot. And, you know, not somebody that's not a father yet. Something that if I, when I do, what a great example, you know, really what a great example. So you guys, if you want to support the show, please share this with somebody, you know, tag us in a, in a screenshot on, on Instagram. Or if you feel called to do so, please leave us a review. As, as mentioned, Cody's information is all in the show notes. And first step, go follow him on Instagram, engage in his content. The guy's badass and he's awesome. All right. Much love, everybody. Catch you next time.